0: Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's our 749th day in the Word of God, and we are here in Daniel chapter 7. Very important chapter. This is where Jesus got his clearest self-understanding in that his favorite way to refer to himself was as the son of man and this is the great son of man chapter one like a son of man who comes and it's clear from this chapter that the one like the son of man like unto a son of man who comes to receive the kingdom from the ancient of days is glorious splendid eternal king is divine so very important chapter, very important chapter for understanding human history. Christ as the center of it, Christ's own understanding of his coming into the world. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we enter into this chapter today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word of yours that we have been in now for 749 days. It is a wonderful blessing to us. Every chapter is rich with truth and with Christ and we pray that you would bless us as we enter into Daniel chapter 7 today and that you would build us up in our faith in Christ, our understanding of Christ, and our desire, our longing to glorify Christ and see his kingdom come more and more into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a vision, a dream, and visions in his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. David declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea "'different from one another. "'The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. "'Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off "'and it was lifted up from the ground "'and made to stand on two feet like a man, "'and the mind of a man was given to it. "'And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, "'it was raised up on one side. "'It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, "'and it was told, "'Arise, devour much flesh.' After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, it was, it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked... Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire as for the rest of the beasts their dominion was taken away but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. (coughs) Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with his feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had great eyes, and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most. And the time came when the saints possessed... The kingdom. Then he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. That is Daniel chapter seven. I'm still <clears throat> struggling with some chest congestion. I've been fighting a virus basically since I got back from Uganda, so I apologize if my voice gets a bit <clears throat> odd. So this wonderful chapter, it is stunning, it is uh, beautiful, powerful, and yet it is also just kind of confusing, isn't it? Kind of confusing to try to figure out exactly what is happening here. So using scripture to interpret scripture, we should notice that there are parallels between this vision that's given to Daniel here in Daniel chapter seven, right toward the end of the Babylonian empire. The context, this is the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So this is the last ruler of Babylon. We know that from chapter five. We know it's he's not gonna reign that long and so it's coming to the end of the pinnacle of the Babylonian empire and they're gonna be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And there's four kingdoms here, right? There's the lion with the wings, there's the bear, there's the, um, the, the jaguar, and then there's the, um, the beast, right, the sort of indescribable, unlike the others, beast. Well, remember back in Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had a vision of four kingdoms in the form of a statue, head of gold, chest of silver waist of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron mixed with clay. You have <clears throat> a increasing strength and power of these empires, but also increasing division. So I think that I line up with the traditional view of Daniel 7, and that is that the four beasts correspond with the four parts of the statue vision. That Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2. In other words, the head of gold is this first beast, this lion. And we know that Nebuchadnezzar himself was given the mind of a man. He was made less beastly because he was humbled and he acknowledged God Most High. And so his his he's that first ruler. He's, he's the representative. He says there's four kings, but each one of these Israeli kingdoms, represented by sort of their founding king, and then the second one, the the bear, right? This is um, this is Persia. Persia sometimes associated with a bear. Um, it has three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, right? And that could be understanding of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, right? And Maybe even Israel, or maybe the Egyptians, probably the Assyrians, and Babylonians, and the Egyptians are the three ribs that are in its side, <coughs> they're, sorry, that are in its mouth between its teeth, sorry. Um, <coughs> and then you have this leopard. What do we know about leopards? Well, they're extremely fast. And this is the Greek Empire, because Alexander the Great, who was the founder of the Greek Empire, he conquered the entire known world faster than anyone ever had in human history. He, in just a few years, took over the entire world. He was 30 years old when he was the ruler of the entire world, and then he died. And when he died, his kingdom, he didn't have a son and an heir who was ready because he died very young. And so his kingdom was divided into four kingdoms that were headed by each each by four different generals under his command. And so that is that four-headed leopard. So far, pretty clear. And that means that the last beast, that's different from all the others, that has ten horns, this is the Roman Empire. Now, what does it mean, ten horns and ten kings and another horn, a little one? You know, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, the numbers three and ten are very symbolic in apocalyptic literature. This is a a vision of spiritual realities that are given in symbolic form. And so there are 10 kings that seems like to be, um, in other words, not just one. The Roman Empire is one that, although Octavian becomes Caesar Augustus and becomes the first empire of Rome, before him you had Julius Caesar. But before that, the Rome, Rome was already an empire. So rather than just one figure, like a Nebuchadnezzar or an Alexander or Cyrus the Great, Rather than one figure who is like the champion who establishes the empire, you have these ten horns. It means a whole series of rulers. But then you do have um, some who are very powerful and arrogant, and I could think of Octavian who comes, he's part of a triumvirate when he comes to power, but then he ends up overthrowing the other rulers and taking power for himself and boasting great things about himself, taking the title of Augustus the Great One, right? And so it is during the days of Caesar Augustus, the Great One, that Jesus is born and comes into the world. And that really, I think, is the focus here. It's it's, it's during the Roman Empire, it's during the boasting of these kings of the Roman Empire, that reality shifts. Just like the statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about when it was in the final stages of the Roman Empire, when it's iron mixed with clay, there's strength, but there's also division, there's brittleness, because whenever you put one guy in charge, sometimes that guy is Nero, who's kind of a nutcase and who's very unstable. Sometimes it's Caligula, who is even worse, right? Or sometimes you have what's considered to be a good king, but it's very unstable because it's all... It's a huge, massive empire with lots and lots of power, but is very unstable at the core of its power. So you have these competing horns um, symbolized there. But during, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it was during the Roman Empire that a rock not cut out by any human hand struck the statue and became a mountain that filled the whole earth. Here it is during the days of the Roman Empire that God finally says, it's time. It's time for me to intervene in human history in a decisive way and the ancient of days comes this is god almighty god himself on his throne his clothing white as snow which is radiant purity his hair is pure wool which uh, infinite wisdom uh his throne was fiery flames its wheels were burning fire this is like ezekiel's vision of of a throned uh a chariot throne, a throne that's riding on a chariot with wheel within a wheel. And so here is God. Here is God with a thousand thousands serving him, 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him. And he's coming to judge all of these earthly kings, the Nebuchadnezzars, the Belshazzars, the Alexanders, the Cyruses, the Augustuses. They're all left wanting. None of them is going to be the king. right? In Isaiah, we had language about Cyrus, that Cyrus was a messiah. He's actually called the anointed Cyrus. But he's not going to be the messiah. He's not going to be the savior. None of these men, who are mere men, and who are, you know, Nebuchadnezzar might have been the best of them all, and that he was given the mind of a man, and he and he was brought to repentance, and he wrote that masterful chapter four of Daniel. Think about that. A chapter in the Bible was written by one of these great rulers of the world, but none of them, none of them is sufficient to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit a kingdom that has no end. We heard language about a kingdom that has no end and a dominion that's an everlasting dominion. We heard language about that from Darius after the lion's den in the previous chapter, chapter 6, from Nebuchadnezzar after his humility in Daniel chapter four, the one who has a kingdom that never ends is God, is the Lord. And yet here comes one like a son of man, and he's given God's kingdom. The dominion, the glory, the kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one, that shall not be destroyed. Daniel 7.14 is very much rich with the language that Nebuchadnezzar wrote about at the end of chapter 4 in praise of God, and is also rich with the language that Darius wrote about at the end of Daniel in the lion's den. And so this is God's kingdom, the kingdom of God Almighty, but it's given to one like a son of man. He's human, but he's also coming on the clouds of heaven. Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Jesus himself quotes this when he's on trial before the Sanhedrin, when they're asking him who he is. He says, I'm the one who comes on the clouds of heaven like a son of man and they all they all knew that he was claiming to be divine because the one who comes on the clouds of heaven is god the one who has an everlasting dominion is god and yet he's one like the son of man this is the god man this is the lord jesus christ his kingdom never ends and all other kingdoms after this become really irrelevant it's not that human kingdoms stop rising You have many great kingdoms after this. You're going to have, you know, um, Charlemagne and the Holy Roman Empire, and you're going to have, you know, Joseph Stalin and, and the Soviet Empire. You're going to have many, many great emperors who are going to come and rise after this, but none of them really matter because God has already set Jesus on his throne, and God has already given him the kingdom which is above all other kingdoms. And so even while the kingdoms of this world continue to be terrifying toward the people of God, the saints of God receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever, verse 18 says. So even when men's men's kingdoms continue and men's kingdoms continue to persecute and oppress the people of God, the saints of the Most High receive the kingdom That Jesus receives and are untouchable by anything in this world so the Roman Empire and all of its greatness and all of its arrogance any Empire that's come since then none of them (coughs) none of them compared to Jesus who has already been given the kingdom is he reigning in glory for all the world to see no He's not reigning in glory for all the world to see. And part of what the New Testament unfolds is going into chapters like Daniel 7 and Jesus saying, I'm the son of man and I've come. I'm the one who comes on the clouds of glory. I have a dominion that shall never pass away. Remember the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples after the resurrection, Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations that is jesus saying i've already been given the authority all authority in heaven and on earth means there is no authority that is not under his authority he sits and reigns now as king of kings and lord of lords now his reign is not openly recognized but we have authority to proclaim the gospel we have authority to stand against the powers of darkness of this world, we have authority to proclaim freedom in Jesus' name to people who are in bondage because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So we have a gospel confidence because our king has the kingdom and reigns. What does this mean for us today? Don't live in fear, don't tremble. At the power of the world. Yes, the world hates Jesus. Yes, it attacks God's people. Yes, it slanders. Yes, it sometimes even imprisons and oppresses God's people. But Jesus is on his throne. And he knows how to care for his own. And in the end, we get the kingdom. They um, take a quick look at verse 25, this boasting horn, which I think just represents all the boastful powers of the world. He speaks words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. I think of Mussolini, who came to power, and he said, I'm going to stop and restart the calendar with my ascension to power. People like that, people like... In the French Revolution, they said, we're going to start the calendar over again, and this is going to be year one of the Republic of France. It's always been this arrogance of men to think they can change the calendar and the laws, and the saints will be given into their hand for a time, times, and half a time. We get to Revelation later this year. We'll see that that is probably a reference to the church age, the time between jesus ascension and his coming again the interadvental age the church age is a time times and half a time symbolically it is this period of time in which we're living now we need to not be afraid because the court shall sit in judgment and the dominion of the kings of this world will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. Keep this chapter in mind when we get to Revelation, because there's so many echoes of this chapter throughout the book of Revelation. Jesus reigns now, and while for a time, times, and half a time, there's limited authority given to the kings of the world, even to persecute God's people, don't be afraid, because in the end, Jesus will judge them and we will enter the eternal kingdom. So hold on to the king whose kingdom cannot be shaken, maintain your loyalty to the one who reigns forevermore, and don't let this world shake you or cause you to fear or tremble or cause you to turn your back on King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have a king who reigns forevermore. We have a divine king who is unshakable in his kingdom, unopposable in the advance of his kingdom. All authority in heaven and on earth given to our King Jesus. Help us to stand confidently for him, follow him, bear testimony for him in a world that sometimes hates him, but will have to face him one day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thanks for joining me for Daniel 7. I'm still not feeling super well, so I apologize and thank you for your patience. We are going to be back in Isaiah tomorrow. Wonderful chapter, Isaiah 55, and we're going to do it along with Psalm 109. Hope you can join me for that. And I do hope, as always, that you have a blessed day in the Lord.